Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. stand as we begin. It's great to see you here today as we worship the Lord. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what things are going on around us, we can choose to worship God through it. Let's do that this morning. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise, let praise arise. We see your name in the dark and it changes everything. We see with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise, let praise arise. We'll see break down every wall we'll watch the giants fall for fear cannot survive when we praise you the god of breakthroughs on our side forever lift him high with all creation cry god we praise you Yeah. 
Go ahead and have a seat. So, thank you so much for being here today. And we do. We praise God. Uh, no matter what's in front of us, we can choose to do that. And so I'm so thankful that you have chosen to be here worshiping with us on this Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, you know, as I think about that, about the, uh, the freedoms that we have and the men and women who've given their life, it also reminds me of Jesus and how he gave his life for us. In John 15, 13, hopefully I got that right, um, but it says that no greater love hath any man that he lay, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And so uh, Jesus did that for us, right? And then these men and women who do that also said that we have freedoms in our world. Even though we are a people of peace, that we pursue peace and that is our ideal, we realize that those things still happen in our world. And uh, so we thank God for his provision and how he works things out. And so, um, but I'm so grateful that you're here worshiping with us today. Inside of your bulletin is a gray connection card. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take that card out and begin filling it out as I'm speaking online. There's going to be a connect link there in the chat window. If you would uh, go ahead and begin filling that out as well, just follow those prompts as uh, as they come up on the screen there once you click that button. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, there's a really quick and easy way that you can also let us know uh, that you're here visiting with us today, and that is by taking out your phone and texting the word hello to 717-872-5679. You see it there on your screen, but this is just a simple way that we can reach out tell you thank you for being a part of our service today. We can answer any questions you have, get resources to you that you might answer some questions and let you know more about what's going on here at Peckway Church. And it opens a line of communication, a real simple text I can shoot back to you uh, if you have those questions and during the week or any time of the, uh, well, not mo most times of the day. How's that? We'll put it that way. Just don't text me at 3 a.m. But, uh, but yes, so, so glad to see you here today. We're also uh, continuing our sermon series, Doing Family. And um, today we're going to talk about being spiritual parents. And you know, one of the most rewarding things is being a parent. Uh, it's also a scary thing because um, you never know what you're going to get. There's no guidebook. Um, I wish kids came with, with guidebooks. That'd be a lot easier. But uh, same thing. You know, we're talking about parenting and helping our kids um, make good choices, wise choices, and things like that. Well, you, you can do the same thing with somebody who's new in their walk or even maybe further in their Christian walk. You can be a spiritual parent to them, and someone could also be a spiritual parent to you, a mentor. And so today we're going to look at um, an example from the Bible as we talk about spiritual parenting. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Also, last week I forgot to mention, uh, maybe you had a chance to be here with us for Ben Fuller. It was a great concert. Um, and if you didn't, it's okay. Uh, we're going to give away one of Ben's CDs today, a signed CD. I uh, did that last week for first service, but I want to give you guys the opportunity to, to have that as well. So if you would like the opportunity maybe to, to get this CD um, by Ben Fuller, I, what I want you to do is write on the back of your card this morning or online in that Connect link. I'll ask our host to put it in there one more time uh, in case you missed that opportunity. But just write CD on the back of the card or CD for the Connect next link card there and um, we'll draw a name this week and uh, maybe you'll be one of those who gets that information it was a great 
great concert, great time. You can also find it on our website, so if you want any information about that, feel free to put that on your card, and we'll reach out to you as well. Well, we have a new song we want to introduce to you today. You might have heard it on Christian Radio, so if you have, please feel free to sing along with us. Um, But we serve a God who does not change. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so we're going to sing this. Join in with us as we worship together. around us, no matter 
things that we face in our world, uh, the fears, the doubts, all of those kind of things. And I'm reminded of the, the circumstances we might find ourselves in today um, from actions that were taken earlier this week when families lost their children uh, in a school shooting. And so I want us to, uh, as we are about to sing this next song, I think about Job. Job lost his family. He lost his, uh, his houses, his land, his everything. And he still said, I'm going to choose to praise God. What an incredible uh, example for us. Um, but such a difficult thing to do, right? Um, and so I want us just to take a moment. We're going to pray for those families um, and the, the loss that they had, what they might be feeling today in these moments, maybe hopelessness, um, how to go on. And, uh, you know, we have a God of hope, even though we don't understand the crazy tragedies in our world and what happens in our lives uh, in other people's lives. But we also have things, right? We have things maybe not quite as horrible as that, but we live in a broken and fallen world. But we have a God who has conquered and overcome. We just sang about that uh, in the two songs that we just looked at, that our God never fails. He never changes. His love continues. He continues to comfort, to bring peace and love and wisdom. So would you take just a moment thinking about those families today, thinking about the things in your heart and life that you want to give to him today. And then let's choose to raise a hallelujah to him today. Let's pray.
Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?
We're going to sing this next song as a prayer to him today. All the things we've talked about today, in spite of those that we can trust him. You are who you say you are. And you'll do what you say you'll do. And you'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus.
sing this in faith as our prayer to him this morning, that we trust him, we trust him. Thank you that your ways are higher than our own. That God, no matter what's going on around us, no matter the storms, the trials, uh, the horrible things, Lord, that you're in control. And God, that we can praise you for those things today. But God, not only that, not just those things, but for the good things, for the things that bring us joy, that bring us pleasure, for the victories that we see. Help us to see the victories uh, that are around us, God, as we look at these circumstances, as we look at the things, God, help us to find joy. Help us to raise a hallelujah. God, now as we turn to your word, as we look at what being a spiritual parent means, Father, would you help us to see maybe who those are in our own lives that have been spiritual parents? Who are those that we can be a spiritual parent to, Father? So, Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our ears now as we come to your word, and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Scott, and uh, thank you, team. It's a pleasure to be with all of you again, and uh, I'm grateful that I get to be here the second week in a row. I guess uh, um, everything I shared last week was okay, because they allowed me to come back up here again this week, so that's always good. Let's, uh, let's just go to the, the Lord in prayer again. I just want to pray before we deliver this, this message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you, in fact, are good. And we praise you because you indeed never fail. All your ways are good. And we know that. And Father, as we... Just turn to you to your word right now, Lord. We just cry out to you and, and we just confess our need for you. Open your word to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that your spirit is already in this place. And so we pray, Spirit, that you would just touch our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, and open our hearts that we may understand what you are saying to us this morning. And may this be for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as you know, we're in the middle of our series, uh, Doing Family, and as Scott pointed out, today I want to talk about something we'll call spiritual parenting, and so this is still related to family, but kind of 
with a little bit of a twist because I want to focus in this morning on our church family. And this ties in partially with one of the points from last week's message. Uh, The point was that building or rebuilding is a community project, if you remember that from, from last week. And so that idea of community, when we look at the church as a community, um, as we approach Scripture, we see that there are many metaphors that God uses to reveal to us what the church is or, or what the church is like. But I don't know if you know this, but the number one metaphor in Scripture for the church is family. Family is the number one metaphor. Hundreds and hundreds of times we are referred to as sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, and children of God. If you look around this sanctuary this morning, you won't just see other men and and women. What you are actually looking upon with your physical eyesight are actually the spiritual brothers and sisters. We are the family of God. And one of the things that's important, I think, for us to understand is when, when we approach the Scripture, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, fundamentally their world was different than ours. They were a communal culture. Everything was about the community. The family wasn't just what we would call, um, in our language today, the nuclear family. You know, mom, dad, and you know, 2.4 kids or whatever the case may be. But rather, grandparents lived with their children who lived with their children who lived with their spouses and their children or grandchildren. And they all lived generally together in this larger community. And so when, when we talk about the church as family, it's this larger picture with this communal focus of the church as the extended family of God. Jesus is our brother. God is our father. But for us, though, in our world today, living here in in America in 2022, we tend to operate from an individualistic lens. And just one way this comes across is when we're reading Scripture and we see the, the, um, the pronoun you, we tend to think it's talking about me. But I would say that about nine out of ten times in Scripture when we see the word you, it's a plural you. Perhaps our Bibles would be better um, uh, translated using a a southern dialect in some cases. So in those moments, perhaps it should say uh, y'all. So then we could understand, oh, it's not just talking about me as an individual, but it's talking about us as the family of God, the community of Christ, right? And so we see one of the examples, and this is in your outline, one of the examples um, that I want to just point to us, uh, point out quickly is how the Apostle Paul uses father and son language in reference to uh, some of his disciples, some other men who were partners in ministry with him and were close to him. And I'm not going to read all of these references. Uh, you can read those uh, on your own, maybe while you're eating lunch today at home. But Paul had a relationship with a young man named Timothy. 
You can read about that relationship in the book of Acts. But in Paul's letters, and I just have three references there, 1 Corinthians 4.17, 1 Timothy 1.2, and 2 Timothy 1.2, Paul refers to Timothy as his son. Now, Timothy was not Paul's son, but spiritually speaking, Timothy was Paul's son, which made Paul Timothy's spiritual father. Similarly, there was a young man named Titus. And in Titus 1.4, for example, guess what? Paul refers to Titus as his son. Which means Paul is Titus' spiritual father. And then another example, um, a man named Onesimus. In Philemon verse 10, Onesimus was a runaway slave who encountered Paul while he was uh, on the run. And he, um, Paul led him to the Lord. We don't know what that all entailed, but Paul led him to the Lord. And he is writing to his slave owner Philemon and encouraging Philemon to, to set him free. And in the process, he refers to Onesimus as his son which means Paul is his spiritual father. See, Paul also talks about this principle called the 2 Timothy 2.2 principle, and obviously it's taken from 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And in those words, Paul mentions, he says to Timothy, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, if you're paying attention there with that verse, Paul is referencing four generations of spiritual parenting, four generations of what we would call discipleship. Paul says, starting with Paul, he's the spiritual father, he says to Timothy, everything you've heard me say, I want you to then go and teach to reliable people, that's the third generation, who then will go and also then and I'm paraphrasing here, become spiritual parents to other people. Four generations of spiritual parenting. Four generations of discipleship. And I want to just share how this has, one of the ways this has played out in my own life. One of my spiritual fathers is a man named Doug Buckwater. He's a a Greek and New Testament professor at Evangelical Seminary. That's where I first met him almost 20 years ago. And uh, Doug um, is just a very humble man who's just very passionate for the Lord. And he happened to be my advisor, and um, I, I had most of my classes with him since I was focused on New Testament studies, and he was the New Testament professor. But Doug became much more to me than just a professor and an academic advisor. Doug became a spiritual father. He pulled me under his wing. And for years, and it continues to this day, we meet together once a month for about two hours and we share a meal together and we confess and share our life with one another and we pray for one another and we encourage one another. And one of the things that I appreciate about the most about my time with Doug is that if I tend, if I tend to allow struggles and things to, to pull me off to the side, Doug is so focused on Christ and so focused on the word that those those two hours each month with Doug is just a moment where he as my spiritual father and me as his spiritual son, he helps pull me back in and refocus me afresh on Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
I'm so grateful for Doug as a spiritual father and for that time I have with him. Now I want to share briefly about one of my spiritual sons. And I, I talked to him this week and got special permission to, to share the story with you. His name is Shane. Shane is in his early 30s now. Um, but when I first met Shane, I was pastoring a church up in the northern Poconos, almost into upstate New York, where the deer outnumbered the people. All the hunters would appreciate that. Um, and the church that I was pastoring was maybe only about 100 yards away from this dive, and I mean dive, rundown bar called Coosters. I think it has since burned down, which is probably a good thing. But one day I was leaving, I was driving um, home, and as I was driving, I had to drive past Coosters, and so Coosters was on the right side of the road, the parking lot was on the opposite side of the road, and as I'm driving, it's maybe like 4 o'clock or so, 4.30, I, I see uh, two young teenage boys getting out of a car from Cooster's parking lot. And I drive, I just drive past, and in my rearview mirror, I see them cross the street and walk into Cooster's. And I recognize the one boy as, as Shane, who had come to church a couple times. He was 16 at the time. And as I continued on just a short ways and got to a stop sign, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. And, and I said, I, I can't just, I can't just, seeing what I saw, I can't just let that go. And so I did a U-turn and went back and pulled in the Coosters parking lot. And I walked in to Coosters and it was completely empty. But there sitting at the bar was Shane and one of his teenage friends. And I walk in and, and I just go, what are you doing? And I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but essentially I pulled Shane and his friend out of Coosters that day. Not, not literally, I didn't grab them and pull them out, but they ended up leaving Coosters that day. But something else happened that day. I began a connection with Shane. And Shane and I began to meet together for discipleship. I was becoming his spiritual father and he was becoming a spiritual son to me. And we began, we studied the book of Jeremiah together. We studied the gospels together. We studied weekly in the word together. We prayed for one another. And Shane was dealing with some things in his life, some, some addiction and some other things. And over time, God set Shane free from all of that. And now Shane is married he um, graduated college, graduated seminary, he's got three beautiful young children, and he's working on a doctorate in theology, in missiology, and he's pastoring a church up in the Nescapec region. And I don't, I don't share that to say, wow, Chris, you're so cool. I share that to say, that's an example of the power of discipleship, the power of spiritual parenting. I could have easily just kept going home that day and began cooking supper and spent the evening with my wife and my children. But in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I chose to get involved. And God used that to bring about transformation in somebody's life. And now Shane is a spiritual father to other people. 
And so as Paul talks uh, um, in his writings and uses that spiritual father-son language, um, I want to just remind us today that the church needs spiritual parents. The church needs spiritual parents. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, the end of verse 7 through verse 12. And we'll see in this example that Paul actually mixes his metaphors in this passage. He's talking about his uh, relationship and the relationship of his ministry companions with the Thessalonian church. And he uses both motherly and fatherly language to refer to him and, and his companions in their ministry. Look at these words. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so what I want to do is just walk through this passage because I believe there are some, some simple but powerful reminders for us that we can take from this passage that teach us a little bit more about what spiritual parenting entails, what spiritual parenting looks like. And the first thing I want to point to is that spiritual parents feed their children. Hello, obvious, right? Just as parents feed their children, spiritual parents feed their children. Again, look at the second part of verse 7 and verse 8. He says, as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Now, I couldn't help but think about the current reality of the, the baby formula shortage as I was thinking about this point this week. Baby formula is obviously vital for the growth, development, and nutrition of, of an infant. But likewise, spiritual infants need a steady diet of spiritual food. And there's at least two things I think we can draw from this passage. And the one, the first thing that spiritual infants need is a steady diet of the Word of God. It's what Paul refers to in this moment as the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that Jesus came and took on flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived among us, ultimately suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, was dead, buried in the tomb where he raised from the dead three days later. And he ministered in the flesh among the disciples for a period of time to where he eventually ascended back to the Father's right hand from where he has sent us the Holy Spirit. Paul says this is his gospel. This is ultimately what is referring to here as the word of God. But there are numerous scripture references in both the Old and the New Testament that refer to the nourishing and the life-giving quality of God's word. Sometimes God tells the prophets to literally eat this word. Eat it. 
When Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil, he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. In Matthew 4.4, 4, um, this is when uh, the, the devil, Jesus, is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and he's hungry. And the evil one appears and tempts him and says, you see that rock over there? Just turn that rock into bread. Take care of your hunger. But this is Jesus' response, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mentioned in my relationship with my spiritual father, Doug, this is one of the things he helps me with. He helps me stay focused on feeding on the word of God. The second thing that spiritual infants need is time. Time. I love how Paul puts it here. He says, we were not only willing to share the gospel of God with you, but we shared our very lives as well. Spiritual parenting means that we are giving the resource of time to spiritual infants. And I would stress that this means both Quality time and quantity time. Sometimes I've had discussions with people that, that um, parents even that, that tend to focus on, well, I just make sure I give my kids some uh, quality time here and there. And I say, that's great, but your kids also need quantity time. They need to know that you are there. And the same thing is true for us in regard to spiritual parenting. We need our disciples, our spiritual children to know that we are there. It's not one or the other. It's both quality time and quantity time. And I I can't help but think about Jesus and and, and Paul and how this played out in both of, of their earthly ministries. Think about it. For three and a half years, Jesus had 12 men who went with him everywhere. They, they slept by the same fires. They shared meals at the same tables. They went through the same experiences together. Same with Apostle Paul. If you ever just look for a moment at, at how far he traveled, and they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have, have Amtrak, it was either by boat or by Shoe Leather Express. Think about that. Paul has a small group of of men and women traveling with him. Think about all those conversations on the road. Think about all those discipleship moments by the campfire in the evenings. Think about all those discipleship moments as Paul's working his trade as a tent maker along with Priscilla and Aquila, we're told. All those opportunities for connection and conversation. Time and the Word of God are two of the primary things that spiritual parents feed their children. Number two, spiritual parents guide their children. We guide our children. Look at verses 11 and 12 of this passage. Paul writes, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul mentions three things here. The first one is encouraging. Encourage. Now, I want to just point out that to encourage another person is not to flatter them or to speak under false pretense. Rather, it's, it's building up of one another. A definition of encourage means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. And that doesn't mean we give false hope or false confidence. I can't help but to think about uh, um, uh, when American Idol first came out a number of years ago. You remember that show? I think it's still on. I haven't watched it. 
But during the uh, opening rounds where the people would be auditioning in front of the judges to see if they could make it to uh, really get on the show, they would always have like three or four like really good singers. But then, and I feel bad for these people because it was really just for entertainment purposes, they would throw in that one, oops, sorry, I knew that was going to happen, fall off the stage. Um, they would throw in that one uh, um, audition that would just be completely like bonkers. And after the judges would like, like, you know, cover their faces and so on and so forth, um, and they would say, sorry, man, you just, you just don't have it. And sometimes the, the person would get so upset. And sometimes they would say things like, but my grandma says I have the voice of an angel. My mom says I have the best voice she's ever heard. Well, they haven't been encouraging them. They've been flattering them. They've been sharing things under false pretense in order to, to try to build them up, but it's not based in the truth. Encouragement is based in the truth. It's building people up in Christ in the truth. It's not, not out of flattery. The second thing Paul mentions is comfort. Comforting one another is not pampering or making life easy for them. These things can actually hinder somebody's growth and maturation process. But rather, it is helping them walk into, and I'm borrowing words from Psalm 118.5 here, it is comforting somebody is helping them walk into a spacious place. A definition of comfort is a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. Psalm 118.5 gives us this picture of being in the midst of hardship that's crushing us and weighing down on us. But then the psalmist says, but God brought me into a spacious place. That's what comfort does. Brings us from feeling crushed and burdened into a sense of freedom, spaciousness. And the next thing Paul mentions here is urging them to right living. Now, what do we mean by, by right living? What do we mean by that? Here's what we don't mean. We don't mean the standards of the current culture or age in which we find ourselves. Rather, we are referring to the life of King Jesus and the ethics of his kingdom. For example, the teachings we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Loving our enemies. Blessing those who curse us. Being generous, but doing it in secret. Living life of prayer, but doing it in, in private in our prayer closet before the Lord. Engaging in spiritual disciplines, but, but not doing it in a way where we're blowing trumpets and drawing attention to ourselves, but rather we're doing it out of a sense of, of humility, out of a sense of love and building relationship with, with God the Father. That's right living. Following Jesus Christ as our king. And the third thing Paul mentions here is spiritual parents are living examples to their spiritual children and others. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. The first thing here that I think Paul, we can draw from Paul's words is that we must, as spiritual parents, we must embrace hardship for the sake of others. We must embrace hardship for the sake 
of others. I like how Jesus puts it in Luke 6.38, and this is according to Eugene Peterson's translation in the Message Bible. He says, give away your life. You'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Friends, following Christ is easy in the sense that he doesn't make it hard for us to get to God, the Father. But following Christ is also hard. Because the ways of King Jesus are not the ways of the kingdoms of this earth. And as we live in accordance with the ways of King Jesus, it's going to mean that there are moments of hardship. But even in those moments, we praise God. Just as we, we sung about in our time of worship through music earlier, in the difficulties, we praise God. In the hardships, we praise God. Prayer is our weapon. Praise is our weapon. And we embrace this. We don't go looking for it. That would be another issue that we'd have to talk about. We don't go looking for it, but we recognize the reality of it and we embrace it and continue to praise God in the midst of it. Spiritual parenting is hard, just as biological parenting is hard. Our kids aren't always going to do everything we want them to do, when we want them to do it, how we want them to do it, but it's part of the learning process, is it not? We embrace hardship for the sake of others. And then the last thing here, remember people are watching. Remember people are watching. Our witness to King Jesus is both active and passive. Paul points out to us, I think, what some of that active witness looks like in this passage when he uses things, words like caring, loving, sharing life, encouraging, comforting, urging to live lives worthy of the gospel. That's that, that active side of things. But there's also a, a passive side to our witness where we are just going about our day-to-day -day living, going about life in a way that reflects God's goodness. When, when we are just dealing with life, day-to-day -day life, remember that somebody is always watching and what are we showing the world that we are following or who are we showing the world that we are following? That's what I mean by the passive witness. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I want to just close with this, this picture, this story about my own family. 
This is uh, especially uh, about my daughter, Emma, my oldest daughter, who's graduating from Penn Manor this week. Um, when we were pastoring up in the Poconos, like I had mentioned, uh, we did on, on fifth Sundays, we would gather for worship through music, but then we would scatter out into the community and worship through service, and we would have three or four different service projects um, available. And uh, one time, a small group of us went to a, a local neighborhood nearby our church where this neighborhood um, was a good size, but it had, we had zero influence in that neighborhood. Not one family in that neighborhood was part of our church family. And so we decided to send a, a small group into that neighborhood to do some prayer walking. And my family and my daughters, who were real younger at the time, Anna was maybe like five and Emma was like nine, and so we spent two hours just prayer walking this neighborhood, praying over the homes and, and um, you know, trying to have dialogue with conver and conversations with people that, that were outside and um, see if they were open to, to any kind of prayer or anything like that. And um, my, kids were, my kids were with us and they were participating with us. But never once did I say to them, this is what we're doing. We're prayer walking. This is how you do it. This, these are the steps. I never did that with my kids, but they were with us. When we were done, I went home, dropped my family off, and I proceeded to then go to the local hospital for a hospital visit. And Emma decided to go visit the neighbors. She went to our neighbor who lives to our left, and she knocked on the door. And they answered, and she said, Hello, I was just wondering if there was anything that you would like me to pray for. And those neighbors were just kind of like, What? Like, no, we're good, thanks though. But then she went across the street to an elderly neighbor, Miss Teresa. She was in her mid-70s, a, a, a widow. Now, Emma, Emma liked to go over there anyway because she liked Miss Teresa's candy dish. But she went over and Miss Teresa let her in and she was eating candy. They were sitting at the kitchen table and Emma said to Miss Teresa, Miss Teresa, is there anything I can pray for you about? And Miss Teresa said, yeah, thank you. And she shared with Emma something that she would like prayer for. And Emma said, well, let's pray. And Emma began to pray for Miss Teresa I had no idea that this even happened until a couple of days later, I was um, out front of my house and Miss Teresa comes out and she yells across the street, Chris, Chris, and she waves me over and I go over and, and she just talks to me with tears in her eyes and, and she just tells me the story about her, her afternoon with Emma and how Emma prayed for her and she was just so blessed by Emma in that moment. She was so blessed by the prayer and she went on to say about how the, she couldn't believe how mature the prayer was for, for just a nine-year-old girl. Of course, it's one of those proud papa moments. But here's my point. Spiritual parenting, sometimes things are more caught than they're taught. Sometimes things are more caught than they're taught. As we are living out our faith, somebody is always watching. It may be your own kids. The church needs spiritual parents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning.
Father, I pray that Peckway Church would be known as a place that is raising up spiritual parents. And as a result, we're raising up spiritual children who will become spiritual fathers and mothers. Father, I believe this is your mission. This is the great commission to make disciples, to make spiritual parents who will continue to make more spiritual parents, who will make more spiritual parents so that the world will come to know you, Lord Jesus, that your name would be lifted up above every other name. And so, Father, I just, I have to believe that in a church this size that you are just impressing it upon someone's heart this morning. Father, I pray that you will help us to take those next steps. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. If that's something that interests you, check that on the card. I want to be a spiritual parent, and we'll, we'll talk. Thanks, church. Thank you, Chris, for that message. And as uh, Chris was saying, if you would take that card this morning, your gray card online, I'll ask our host to put the connect link in there. Um, but if you're interested in that, there's a couple of things that are coming up that can help you um, maybe with resources for being a spiritual parent. Maybe you're thinking, I could never do that. I don't, wouldn't know what to say. I don't know much about the Bible. Well, there's some things that you can do. Um, we're going to be having um, groups that Chris is going to be creating, and these are going to be triads. This is a group of three that will meet together for accountability, um, studying the Word, and praying together. And then coming up in July, he's going to have a six-week summer study um, that's going to meet on Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 8 p.m. So that's July 6th through August the 10th. And then lastly, coming up in the fall, we're going to have the equipping pathway uh, that he's going to be doing. So uh, that's coming up in the fall season. So if you're interested in any of those things, if you want more information about those, mark it on your card on the back there. I, just whatever you want to put. You want to say, I'm interested in groups or uh, groups Chris talked about. It, we'll, we'll decipher it, all right? We'll figure out what it is that you, you would like to do. Um, and online, you can do that very same thing. Uh, if you can even do simply group, and we can get together with you guys and have you uh, get that information that you're wanting. Well, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. It's been great doing that. Seeing you once again, uh, it's always a pleasure. And I hope to see you again next week. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. See you next week. Bye-bye.